On this episode of Water Flying, we're on location at the Birches, a seaplane-friendly lodge on Moosehead Lake in northern Maine. That should be a bucket list destination for seaplane pilots. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back to Water Flying. We're on location here in the Birches with my longtime friend and passionate seaplane pilot, John Willard. Uh, John and his wife, Tanya, have become great friends over the years, and we have graciously, uh, they have great, very graciously provided uh, the SPA team with housing for many years during the Greenville International Seaplane Fly-In here in Greenville, Maine on Moosehead Lake. And on top of my huge appreciation for their incredible generosity, I've really developed a, a very fond place in my heart for this very special place, the Birches and John and Tanya. So, John, thank you for all you do to help us, and thank you for joining us on Water Flying. Sure. Welcome to the Birches. It's a beautiful morning here on Moosehead Lake. Yeah, it's a great sunrise this morning. As always, it's famous for our sunrises here on the, at the Birches. Um, it's great to be back and it's great to have my airplane here as well. I know your plane looks great on the dock. I took a picture of it this morning on my way by. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so John, uh, let's tell the listeners a little bit about your background. I've got to know you over the past decade plus coming here. Uh, and you're like the real dude, man. Well, <laughs> no, I've been here 53 years now. I came here when I was 18. And I studied forestry in Maine, and uh, my father had the vision to buy the birches back in the late 60s when it was just on lease land and summertime camp. And uh, after I did forestry for a while, I took over the birches, I purchased it from him and my mother, and I'm here now, still 53 years later. 53 years running the birches, and you literally... When you guys purchased it, you were just like a teenager, right? Uh, I was uh, probably in my late 20s when I actually purchased it. Okay. I'd already gone through a whitewater rafting sort of career and forestry career. And when they were ready to retire, that's when I purchased the birches. From them. But you had been working it but before then. I've been basically running it since the early 70s. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. I can't. You know, the, the experiences, the, the guests that you've had, you know, just living remote. I think this is so many of our dreams is to be able to enjoy something remote like this. The views, uh, the lake life between boating and seaplanes and the wilderness and all the wildlife opportunities. I mean, this is kind of like nirvana for so many of the people probably listening to this show uh, and myself included, you know, this is, uh, I, I look forward to this every year. I get Maine fever. <laughs> I, I know, it's it's amazing, you know, uh, when you think about two things, you know, last summer one day I was getting out of my flow plane and some fella looked at me and he goes, boy, he says, you're a lucky guy, you own the birches <laughs> and fly float plane tours. And 
I said, yeah, I earned every bit of that luck, too, I can tell you that. But The other thing is people say, well, have you gone to Alaska? And I've said, well, it's still on my bucket list, but we have 6 million acres of wilderness just north of the birches, and I have my float plane, two float planes. And it, I don't know, I just haven't had time to go to Alaska because I haven't run out of places to go in Maine yet. <laughs> I can understand that. I mean, it's literally, I mean... Uh, we're going to be going to another lake across just just off of Moosehead. There's another lake, Lobster Lake, that we're going to go do later today uh, for uh, lunch. And uh, I mean, there's just endless lakes up here, and the vastness. I mean, last night we were doing some flying and climbed up to a thousand feet, and you can see across the mountains into Canada from here, and you cannot see any human development. Uh, when you get up to a thousand, two thousand feet, all you see is wilderness and mountains and lakes and woods. It's incredible. That's very true, and and a lot of that is because of the Forest Society of Maine and the Nature Conservancy and the state of Maine too. They've come together over the last thirty years and purchased a tremendous amount of development rights from some of these big timberland companies. So mostly now, the timberland is managed as timberland. And the lakes and ponds up in that area help, most have campsites on them. And you can access them with a float plane. There's no places that you can't land. It's all up to the pilot to pick where he's going to go. Oh, and it's incredible. There's no shortage of that. So, uh, that I mean, I think we're painting the picture somewhat, but uh, we're on the northwest shore of Moosehead Lake, if anyone wants to look it up, uh, here in northern Maine. We're literally looking across at Mount Kineo, which is a very iconic destination for anyone that wants to come to Maine. Uh, if you ever plan a trip to Maine, one of the things you should include is a, a trip to Mount Kineo. It's a very historic. Talk to us a little bit about the, the history of Mount Kineo, because it's, it's actually a really unique location. Actually, Mount Kineo was a resort, or it started as a kind of a hotel in the mid to late 1800s when Henry David Thoreau was up here, 1850s, they used to run steamships up Moosehead Lake from Greenville. They had a, a stagecoach from Bangor that came to Greenville. And then uh, over time, the hotel, uh, that one burned, and then there was another one. And so over time, eventually, Kineo Hotel had enough rooms for 700 people, and I carry a photo of that in my float plane. I fly over and I show people what used to be there. And, uh, of course, the mountain and the, the golf course was one of the first golf courses in the country. Wow. And back then it was 13 holes. Now it's nine, and it's fabulous. It's owned by a wealthy fellow. that It's his hobby to take care of the golf course, and it's beautiful. But, um, the, the you know, I tell people when I go on my float plane, I actually show them underwater you can see some of the old steamship piers that are now covered with water because in the early 1900s they raised the lake seven feet okay for, uh, for hydro power so a lot of those things are just underwater but you can see them yeah and there's at least five or six of them that i point out from time to time and they're they're huge piers where the big steamships came and the, the schedule was uh there's one on the dining room mantle in the in the lodge uh, five steamships Work from Greenville all the way up to Kineo, Northeast Cary, Northwest Cary, Ogons, and, and a lot of these places almost had little settlements for the woodcutters that made America. I mean, a yeah. lot of the wood came from Moosehead Lake, 
and up on the west branch of the Penobscot River, which is just north of here, you can fly your plane down right in the river sometimes, really close to the water, all the way to Chisunkook Lake. It's beautiful. Yeah. But they used to run logs down those rivers to Bangor, where they used to um, have many, many sawmills, and a lot of the t- lumber that built America and New England came through Bangor. And then uh, Skowhegan was the other side where the Kennebec would flow the wood down to Skowhegan where they made a lot of paper and paper product. But Kineo itself, back in the late 1800s, there was a steam train that came from Boston and New York right up across near the Kennebec River, Moxie, um, <clears throat> near Moxie Falls and up through the Indian Pond area. And the train would come, uh, an overnight train, Red Eye, would come to Kineo Station in Rockwood, and people would get off and go to Kineo. Some stayed all summer. Back in the days with no air conditioners, people came to places like Moosehead to cool off. Cool off, and yeah. yeah. And so Rockwood is the closest town to where we're sitting here at the Birches. It's just the other side of the, the road here. Yeah, it's basically half a mile away. Yeah. And then they would get a ferry that would take them across uh, if they came by train. And this yeah. was really remote back then. I mean, you think about people coming here in the 80s. I mean, it's a remote today. Yeah. <laughs> by all standards, it's pretty remote today. It is. And I just can't mm-hmm. imagine coming here in the 1800s and the early 1900s, how remote this was. You think about taking that either, either that train or the steamship up from Greenville uh, up here. I mean, this was, this was quite, quite a place. Oh, it's fabulous, really, when you think about, you know, I tell people the glacier here was 6,000 feet thick. Wow. And uh, it only receded 14,000 years ago, which isn't that long. But since then, the Native Americans, uh, you travel this whole area with their uh, birch bark canoes. And Northeast Cary was one of their carries. They'd come all the way from the ocean up the Penobscot River. Wow. Carry across Northeast Cary and hunt and fish here all summer long. And part of what I point out on my scenic rides is the actual Northeast Cary, which is now a straight road. And it used to be when Henry Thoreau came here, 1853, I believe, 1850s, they came up on a, a, a steamship and they had an ox team that had a wooden railroad track that hauled all their gear across to the uh, other side, to the Penobscot River, where they, then they would venture on to the Allagash and St. John River. And they always had Indian guides that would take them all around for three or four weeks. Wow, that's Fabulous. amazing. You know, and yeah. you could see that carry trail when you fly over it as straight as an arrow. You can tell it used to be a railroad. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And Kenya, was was the, the fairway of the golf course, was that at one time a grass strip? Then they used to you do know, landing? I know a fellow. I knew a fellow, and he's passed away now. He was an old, retired Delta pilot, World War II warrior, bomber pilot. And he told me one day when I was guiding him fishing back in the 80s, I landed a biplane right there on Kineo, right where that fairway is right over there. <laughs> so, yes, there was a landing strip there. That's amazing. You, yeah. can, you can see it if you look down that fairway. Yeah. It's, it's very inviting right now. It's, oh, a, yeah. it's tempting to go do it. And, again, we've talked about it in one of the other episodes uh, for the, the splash in, but Kineo is really unique. I mean, it's this 800-foot vertical face that just descends into this beautiful bay of deep water bay it literally drops 
straight down uh, off this rock face and to land in that bay with the Super Cub or any seaplane and taxi up and you can see so much detail up that face and it's so intimidating and, and really a unique, unique place to go with the seaplane. It's a very special place and uh, we go there in the wintertime on skis sometimes and taxi right up to the rocks and look up 800 feet straight up. But in the, in the same thing, and uh, when the water's open, is to land a float plane there and taxi around and pull up to a beach over there and take a break, maybe have a cookout or whatever, and then look at that beautiful mountain. It's 800 feet straight down. Uh, we've had base jumpers do it, and they, they'll land by a boat, and then they'll come to the birches and dry out their parachutes while they're eating lunch. <laughs> uh, but Kineo was actually what's called a ram pluck. Uh, it's a glacial thing where the glacial gla- the glacier pushed up on the mountain and it plucked off half the mountain over you know over thousands of years because mm-hmm. six thousand feet of ice you know Kineo was pretty small compared to that it was just but, a pebble but right there behind <laughs> Kineo is the deepest part of the lake two hundred forty five yeah. feet yeah and that's what's so amazing because you you literally have not only this vertical face. But this huge drop-off, I mean, it's deep water there. Uh, and it's deep, I mean, right to the shoreline. A lot of areas here on Moosehead Lake, you can see how shallow it is, and there's rocks and spines and stuff that are, you know, you have to kind of keep an eye out as a boater or a seaplane pilot that you don't hit one of these spines. But the water there, I mean, is the deepest water in the lake. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's the deepest part of the lake. And uh, in front of the birches, it's about 160 feet out and ha- halfway across, but... Behind Kineo is definitely the deepest, and uh, Kineo is fabulous. You could fly around it, fly over it. Great photography. Oh, it's just a fun incredible. place to fly. And then that whole mountain chain that goes Little Kineo and then Shaw Mountain. You've got Eagle Mountain. You've got uh, Lobster Mountain and Spencer, Big and Little Spencer, and then all the way up to Katahdin, which is only 40 miles from here, 45 by air. Mm-hmm. And that's the termination point, the northernmost point of the Appalachian Trail, right? That's correct. It's the northern uh, terminus of the Appalachian Trail, and it closes October 15th because it starts to get cold up there. It's 5,200 feet high. Yeah, so just a tremendous amount of outdoor activities, which you guys really capitalize on here um, at the lodge and the resort. Um, So, again, uh, just a very, very special place. I hope you can somewhat picture uh, what we're seeing, literally, as we look out uh, the window here across the lake. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the amenities and some of the things that really stick out to people when they visit here. I know for me that the dining room is a special place. I mean, I feel at home every time I walk into the dining room with the big fireplace, which literally dates back now about 80 years. I think that yeah, fire. The, uh, the lodge was built in, in 1930 and the dining room part of it was 1935. And it pretty much identical to what it was back then. We've tried to keep, uh, like, the windows are brand new, but they look just like the old windows, so you wouldn't know the difference. So we try to keep the old motif in there, and the 35-ton fireplace, so-called, <laughs> what they say, was built by a French fellow from Quebec. But all the cabins were built between 1930 and 1945 by French-Canadian loggers. The fellow that started the birches, Oz Fahey, had uh, two daughters, and they're both still alive. They're in their 80s, and they've, they've come back 
to visit and have lunch and whatnot. And uh, they're always saying, oh, my God, it's just like it was when we were little kids. You know, we used to run around. and they, we'd sit I've never seen anything change. I know that. <laughs> I know. And I try to keep it that way. Yeah, and that, I think that's what's really special. I mean, it, it is uh, like walking back in time and, uh, and yet feels so comfortable. I mean, it just feels so homey. It's so easy to get comfortable here. Uh, the bar, there's a little bar, so you walk in. Uh, to the lobby, uh, the reception desk area, there's a little trout pond with waterfall coming, literally water coming down the wall as you walk in. And then just a little bar, a very intimate bar with another double-faced fireplace and a little seating area uh, to, to just hang out with people. And then the back patio, a wooden porch uh, with really unique local uh, wooden chairs and uh, tables to sit out. You can have a campfire or sit out on the dock at a table and chairs and dock your boat or your plane. Or it's just it's just amazing. It is, and and we have several uh, family reunions and a few weddings here every year, depending on the availability of lodging. Usually, summers for family weekly two week rental cabins. They come for a week or two, but we've had some big family reunions and some. Teacher associations come here for meetings. and So there's a little bit of something for everybody. We have some private homes on the lake that are a little more upscale than the old cabins, even though we've updated the cabins on a regular basis. There's still log cabins, no internet. They do have electricity and showers and bathrooms and whatnot, but they uh, we try to keep the, the old motif because what we have here is going away. It is. Um, and that's why I appreciate it so much. Uh, it's it's a diamond in the rough. I actually saw a boat with that. Uh, <laughs> of course, it was rough R U F F with dog paws on it uh, at the at the lodge dock the other day. But really, I mean, I believe this place is a diamond in the rough because of how unique it is, and you have that old world charm. And so there's 15 cabins. Uh, and those those are the historic cabins. There's 15 of them. There's 15 cabins, and then there's uh, five private homes that we've managed to pick up over time over the last 30, 40 years. So uh, along the lakefront, we have close to a mile of lakefrontage. And, wow. Uh, the marina. Yeah. And a 10,000-acre tract of land for all recreation behind us. And an airstrip that we built a few years ago. I was going to say, yeah, so you can not only come in here by seaplane, um, and you can drive in. Uh, if you don't own a seaplane, you can drive in. But also, uh, if you have, you're inclined to uh, utilize gravel strips, you have a great little gravel strip uh, just to the west of the resort here as well. It's about a mile west, and we had uh, 22 um, basically cubs and malls. For lunch, a couple of weeks ago, they were here on a fundraiser, and uh, most of them are STOL-type guys that go around for all these short takeoff and landing contests. And a lot of fun, fun group. Yeah. So we'll leave a van or two up there, and they jump in, and it's a mile drive down here to the lodge. And we put the airstrip a mile back just because we didn't want to encroach on the cabins with the noise of airplanes and all. So people land up there, and they don't even know they're here. I've never heard anyone land up there. Uh, and matter of fact, if if you don't know that the airstrip's there and where it is, you would never even see it. Uh, you wouldn't even, even know it's around. I mean, you have to kind of know where it is up there. 
Yeah, we didn't put it on the charts. It's it's there. People call. I always like them to contact me first just so I can make sure it's in good shape for them to land on. Well, let's talk about, you know, we're here on the lake, and you can fly seaplanes in, and but you actually have a seaplane base here. You have a hangar uh, on, on site here for your airplanes. You have multiple airplanes, so I want to stress to people uh, what your, you know, not only are you, do you operate this incredible facility and, and property, uh, but you're also a very passionate, you're a member of SPA. Uh, again, you've been very generous in helping us uh, with our lodging every year. And then on top of it, you own multiple airplanes and, and you fly them. I mean, you, you're the real deal. What kind of airplanes do you have right now? Right now I have, uh, I have a Piper PA-12 with the 39-foot wingspan, the, the Alaskan mods, Charlie Center mods, and high lift, big engine, 180 horse. It's a great airplane. Oh, yeah. I've had it for 21, 22 years. And I have a Glass Star on amphibious floats, which I fly personally. We've flown it to Florida and Oshkosh, and sometimes when we don't go somewhere with a float plane and you don't have to worry about getting fuel, we'll take that plane. And I have a 182 Cessna I've had for 28 years. Great airplane. It's probably one of the best platforms I know about for a family airplane. You know, I used to take my kids for a week every year on vacation. I said, as long as we can go on the plane, you pick where we're going to go. So <laughs> we went to D.C., Halifax, Nova Scotia. We were all over New England. It's just a blast to fly that airplane. And now I have a Piper Lance that I fly on long trips. If I want to fly to Florida or out west or whatever, I can take that airplane. And I have an RV-8, which, you know, kind of gets you the the little mini aerobatic feeling of a great little poor man's jet, I call it. Yep. 200 little miles hot, an hour, fun, you know. Yeah, it's a hot just a ride. hot rod, yep. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's my passion. And now I tell my friends, you know, I don't, buy, I don't have sailboats and fancy cars, but I do have airplanes. That's where I put most of my effort. Uh, collection of wonderful planes. It is. And you use them. And that's what I like about it so much as well. You not only have them, but you, you use them and you enjoy them. And anytime we talk airplanes, you're smi- you just get this instant smile on your face. So, <laughs> as right now. It's true. I mean, <laughs> so that's awesome. I've met so many great people in the flying community, flying to different airports and all over the United States. Just a, it's just a great hobby, and you meet the f- most fabulous people everywhere. Yeah, you yeah. sure do. I mean, obviously, uh, and that's one of the nice things about the podcast that I enjoy is is getting to take our adventures of what we do and what we experience as seaplane pilots and, and open it up to a bigger audience uh, and trying to share it and trying to encourage them to come out and enjoy places like the Birches as well. So you, you have the seaplane base, you have your airplanes, uh, but you also, both for the customers, uh, y- you have uh, either bring your own boat or lots of rental options for people to get out on the water in boats here as well. Yeah, we have uh, quite a collection of canoes, kayaks, paddle boards. Uh, we've got jet skis, pontoon boats up to 28 feet long. Uh, we've got motor speed boats. You name it, we pretty much have it. If somebody wants to go see the lake fast they can take a speedboat a family trip in a pontoon boat is always fun a little ride around Kineo, go to the pebble beach for lunch and cook out so yeah we have uh, quite a selection of boats it's a 
pretty much jams in the marina. Probably <laughs> almost every boat in there is ours. However, we do get quite a few guests are bringing boats now. They'll come here for a week or two and haul their favorite boat up here with them. And they probably use it more in that week or two than they use it all use year. the rest of the year. Yeah. Because you can go right over to Kenio and dock there and go on the hiking trails or, like you said, have a picnic or uh, and just go swimming over there. Or uh, you can go to Greenville or you can go up yeah. toward Northeast Cary where there's nobody. Yeah. Which is what I always say. The lake, as far as I'm concerned, is 20 miles long. It goes from here to northeast Cary, northwest Cary. And actually, in northwest Cary, in World War II, there was a prisoner of war camp there that a lot of people don't know about. Wow. It's, uh, I didn't even know about that. So. Yeah. There you go. See, I always learn something. Every time we have a conversation, I'm always learning something new. Yeah. So, okay, that's, we're going to add that to the list of things we have to go explore yeah. up there. So, um, again, you know, I want to stress, I mean, you come here and even though it is very historic in the feel of the lodge and, and the cabins and everything, there's a lot of amenities. And again, it's not just limited to the boats. You guys actually have ATVs and, and Jeeps. You can do Jeep tours. Um, you have a lot of other activities. People can go hiking, uh, mountain bike riding. Uh, there's just, again, there's just so many outdoor activities. I was trying to list them earlier, and the, the list is, is almost ridiculous how long it is. Uh, fly, you, you do fly fishing uh, here locally. Uh, you've guys got a fitness center. I mean, whitewater rafting, you've got a background in whitewater rafting. Talk about some of the opportunities there, maybe. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, the Kennebec and the Penobscot River are uh, within an hour, an hour and a half drive of, of the birches. And uh, years ago, when I first started the whitewater rafting business, we used to bust people from here to uh, Kennebec, the Dead, the Penobscot. And uh, almost every day we had a trip going somewhere. And it's just, I mean, it's so beautiful here. There's so much to look at with the whitewater rivers are just fabulous. I mean, the class five rapids on the Penobscot, class four on the Kennebec. I mean, they just are fabulous uh, recreation. Then we've got uh, we've got some ATVs and we've got a lot of uh, ski trails out back. Thirty-eight miles of cross-country ski trails in the summer. You can hike on a lot of them, and uh, also do a little ATVing out there for guests of the birches. In the winter, also, we have uh, snowmobile rentals, and people bring their ski planes here. And we have, they have access to the hangar if they need to warm their plane up. And ice fishing, all kinds of ice stuff. Ice fishing, yeah. We have ice shacks. and uh, Wintertime's really busy here, but, you know, back to float planes. I mean, I have a, a lift that I can pull a plane out and park it for somebody if they don't want to leave it in the water, and, or we have docks with, you know, nice protection on them for people to tie up spend a few days in the cabins and have their plane right here and we have cars that we loan out so somebody we get a lot of people that fly here and stay in the cabins and loan them a car or a jeep to go to greenville or go to jackman you know which is about a 20 25 minute drive yeah uh, half hour drive yeah and uh then you also have uh you know i think one of the big things for a lot of people is the moose spotting uh, tours, so you can either go by boat or by land uh, on wilderness kind of uh, wildlife spotting, including moose. And I think last night they saw like nine moose, uh, which is again a great opportunity. Yeah, they they see them on the water. We have a, a a boat that holds about twenty people, and they'll go up and 
five miles to a stream that goes about three miles up in the wilds. It's absolutely gorgeous up there. They'll see eagles and moose and deer and uh, osprey, a lot of wildlife. Then we have the Jeep tours. People go out in the Jeep and they'll take them on some of the back roads and rough terrain out there and find a moose or a beaver bog and find a beaver and show people different forestry techniques of how how the land is grown and cut, recut. It still stays pretty pristine no matter what growth phase it's in. So there's a lot to learn out there. There's bears out there, actually, that occasionally you'll see from a Jeep. Wow. You don't really see them from an airplane very often. I've seen a couple over time eating in a clear cut, but they're really hard to see in the woods because they're black. You know? Yeah, yeah, they, they just kind of blend in when but you're the, flying over them. But, but the, the moose. moose are, the yeah. moose are easy to spot uh, in the water because they make a mud trail, so you can spot that if you have an eye for it. You can spot a moose two or three miles away from a flow plane and then kind of zero in on them. Yeah, and they'll be on the the, the little creeks and, and the bog areas uh, usually, and that's where they're stirring up the mud and if you know where to look for them and you know what to look for, it's actually not too hard to see one from the air. No, I saw one yesterday, and I circled down around. I got fairly close. It was a good safe spot to get low, and they got pictures. And... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. This And, you know, I think that's one of the other things. So, I mean, you grew up literally maintaining the resort um, or the lodge and, and the facility, and you're really a hands-on guy, and you're also literally a master guide and a guide. Uh, so pilot you know your, your your hands are getting dirty maintaining the facility um, and you're a guide I mean again like I said I think one of the uh, we just had a super cub fly by on floats <laughs> <laughs> get a huge smile on our face <laughs> so I had to make sure it wasn't mine <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I mean, I, that's what, again, is, is so cool about you is you're, you're such, like I said, you're such the dude because, I mean, you're doing it all and you're out in the boats, you're, you're literally going, you're running the boats when you need to run the boats, you're running the tractors when you need to run the tractors and, and you're a guide and, and pilot. And, and again, I just have such a huge respect for, for that, uh, jack of all trades nature and, and just your, your sense of wanting to jump in and, and tackle it all. And I'm really lucky because my wife, Tanya, she takes Puts up with care it. of the restaurant <laughs> part of it, which is probably the most, the part that I, I have less desire to operate is the restaurant, but it, it's run really well, and it's all part of our package to have good meals and meal service right here on the water. Uh, but, you know, my son's working here now, and he's in his 30s, and so hopefully, uh, you know, keep it in the family. Yeah, That's I think we failed to mention that uh, you also have RV parking, so people can bring their RV parking. I don't know how many spots you have. I only know of a couple uh, there on the point. Uh, we have uh, seven RV sites, and they're they're you know updated with you know fifty amps. Everybody wants power and water and uh, septic sewage and all that. And then we have some campsites, and uh, yeah, people really like to come here with an RV. Yeah, so that yet another option. So uh, what have we failed to talk about? What have we failed to let people know about the birches that they should know or Moosehead and, and the region here? Well, I think the big thing is, especially if you're a float plane pilot and you're on straight floats or amphibious, is uh, to get a hold of the front desk at the birches, get my number, 
and uh, text me and I'll give you whatever information you need about landing conditions. We have fuel for pilots and whatnot. And we really encourage people to come here and, and with their plane um, to stay so that they can actually have a real adventure with their airplane. You know, they can go over to Kineo with their plane. We have a dock over there that we let people dock at. And then they, they could go to Greenville for lunch or dinner. There's so many things to do. There's camps you can fly out to, um, Bradford camps, Libby's camps, and most of them serve food some parts of the day. Really, it, that's what I would really stress is if you have the itch to really get your flow plane out and have an adventure, start here at the Birches. It's a great uh, home base because within an hour to two hours, there are so many little, again, mostly remote fly-out destinations that are all unique in their own little way yeah. uh, that have different. And, and you can fly back and forth on a daily basis, or you could go out and spend the night at one of them and come back. And it's just a great place to use as a home base. And that's what I like about it. And, you know, that's why I think one of the things we failed to mention was the fact that we want to do one of the uh, Seaplane Pilots Association member adventures here. So I'll take the opportunity to put a call out for CFIs because one of the challenges we've had is one of the uh, hallmarks of our member adventures are that we want to have five to six different kinds of airplanes that the people that come on the adventure are able to fly to give them opportunity to log time in, in planes that they haven't flown. But we need typically CFIs to help us with that. And one thing that we've had a little bit of a, a challenge with, we want to uh, have one of the member adventures hosted by you here at the Birches and use it as our base camp and use it as a week-long destination that we go out from. But we need some CFIs uh, that can bring different aircraft to come here and in Maine, we've had a little bit of a shortage of seaplane flight schools right now, where historically there was a, at least a half a dozen here in the state, and we've been seeing several of those close. So if you're listening to the podcast, you're in the Northeast. Uh, if you're familiar with Maine as a pilot, and uh, you might be interested in helping us out, we need to get some CFIs uh, and airplanes here so we can do one of the member adventures here and make sure that we have aircraft for the people that come to fly if they don't bring their own. So uh, get a hold of us, uh, CSR at seaplanes.org. Uh, if you're a CFI and have an airplane and you may be interested in doing that. Great so, idea. Yeah, there you go. I've been wanting to do it for years and we've been talking about it and we just haven't been able to pull it off. So uh, between COVID and CFI shortages here in Maine, things like that, but we really want to make it happen. And we'll try to, uh, the goal would be to try to have that member adventure after the Greenville fly-in when things slow down for you. And uh, if we're lucky, we get change of season for uh, leaving as well. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. So, John, thank you so much for your generosity. You extend uh, a ton of generosity to the Seaplane Pilots Association and literally the entire community. Uh, and you allow us to stay here every year, which has been uh, just an honor and a joy um, thank you uh, for sharing your your wisdom and your lifestyle and this incredible uh, piece of life that you live with us. And uh, I deeply, deeply appreciate our friendship and and consider it an honor to to really include you as uh, kind of my inner circle of friends. And and thank you. Um, well, thank you. I mean, we always enjoy having you stay. We, we love the uh, camaraderie and uh, love the people that you work with. They're great staff always always look forward to 
visiting the seaplane pilot booth at any of the air shows, Oshkosh, Sun and Fun, and Greenville. Uh, it's awesome to have you up here. Yeah, we're going to try to do another podcast while we're here with T.R. Woods because uh, we had some big news. We just had a victory uh, down at Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire as well. We just got the announcement two days ago when we arrived here. And T.R. is going to be up here for the weekend, so that'll be an upcoming podcast as well. But uh, I hope you, uh, as listeners, have enjoyed, uh, again, a, a podcast that I've wanted to do for quite a while here at the Birches. It was really important. I like bringing them on location whenever we can. And to sit here on the shore of the lake uh, watching seaplanes fly by, literally, while we're uh, recording this is, is just what makes it so special. So I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this episode. John, thank you for all you do again, and for Tanya and everyone at the Birches. Uh, you can look the Birches up at Birches, B-I-R-C-H-E-S dot com. If you want to go to their website, uh, they've got tons of information about all the things we've talked about. And uh, until next time, fly safe and fly often, my friends. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.